Good morning to you all. This morning I've entitled the message, A Covenant in the Heart. And, um, you know, we're basically pulling messages out of our daily readings. And so this was a a little bit, from a little bit, um, I don't know, a week or two back. Caught my eye, and um, we have covenant in our church name. We call ourselves Covenant Fellowship, and I'm I'm really curious, uh, what do you think about when you think about our name? Anybody want to volunteer something? Just a nice sounding name that uh, we have on our church sign out here or we have on our website. Is there more to it than that? Is it uh, about a covenant with God? Is it about a covenant with each other? Is it both? Well, I think that our covenant with God is the foundation, gives us the possibility and the basis for being able to covenant with each other. Excuse me. So this morning I want to look at what a covenant with God looks like, what it should do for our lives, and how we conduct ourselves. So that there's a wide variation among Christians today about um, how this is viewed. You know, on one hand we have what I'd call a performance-based works tradition, and on the other side we have the uh, what. I'd call the cheap grace mentality, where we we say as long as the heart's right, you know that's all that matters. Performance, the way you live, doesn't really matter that much. So both of these extremes uh, have flaws, but they both have some truths. So uh, maybe this morning we can kind of stir things up a little bit and and hopefully come out a way holding on to the things that are true. So I want to read from Jeremiah 31 a few verses. Jeremiah 31, beginning at verse 31 through verse 34. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke... Although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin, I will remember no more. So he talks about the old covenant. He said, I'm going to make a new covenant with my people. I'm going to write this one not on the tables of stone that like God did for Moses, but I'm going to write it right in their hearts. We know the, the story of the, you know, the tables of stone uh, didn't seem to, help the children of Israel all that much. They, um, they went away from God 
over and over and over. I also want to read a few verses from Hebrews 10. I love it when Old Testament scriptures are quoted in the New. Hebrews 10, 15, And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us, For after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, says the Lord, I will put their laws upon their heart, and on their mind I will write them. And then he says, And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. So the Hebrew writer is, just, is quoting the same scripture we just read in Isaiah. Now, one question we better answer right at first, is this promise for us? Now, it's obvious, you know, this was Jeremiah speaking God's words, and uh, he was prophesying to the Jewish people. So, you know, a promise doesn't do us much good unless we can claim it. Okay, so uh, <clears throat> let's take just a quick read through several New Testament scriptures that were written especially to Gentiles and see what God has to say. Uh, Romans 2, a couple verses. Verses 28 and 29. <clears throat> For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter, and his praise is not from men, but from God. So it's sounding like that God, uh, God's people are the ones that, that have uh, the work has been done in their hearts. Let's look at a couple more. <clears throat> Um, the real Jews are the ones that are Jews inwardly. In, in chapter 3, verse 29, it says, Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. <clears throat> and then we want to look at Galatians 3. Verse 7 to 9. Therefore, it's talking about Abraham, how he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. So it says, those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. So I personally think it's safe to say that uh, we are of faith, and um, even though we're Gentiles, I think we can claim this promise that God wants to put his covenant right here in our hearts. So do you feel it within you? What has it done for you? Has it changed your desires and your appetites over the years? This covenant that God is writing in your heart. If we haven't seen change, 
it puts a question mark on whether that covenant is really there or not. What is a covenant anyway? Well, it's an agreement between two parties. It's kind of like a contract. And uh, with most covenants, both parties have something to offer. Uh, Right at this moment, uh, I have a covenant with H&S. They are building a house. They covenanted to build a house for me. I covenanted to pay them. And uh, so far, it's working out on both ends. Now, the money is getting a little low, so we'll see. <laughs> we'll see how that all works out in the end. But that's the covenant we have. So, but this covenant that God is offering is something quite different from the covenants that we are used to. God, who has it all, is offering something to us who have nothing. God says, I'll forgive your sin. I'll give you the power to live above sin. I'll give you an eternal home in heaven. And Jesus knocks on our heart's door and said, are you interested in this covenant? What a one-sided covenant. And how then should we desire to live our lives after that? After we accept this covenant, shouldn't there be an overwhelming motivation to live in ways that please him? I think that's one of the confusions in this world today. James Burns, you, most of you know him, says, told me once that in, in some of the circles he moves in, if you start talking about being concerned with living in obedience to the teachings of Jesus... He said, people get all concerned and immediately accuse you of legalism. So does does obedience matter? I think it does. I think it matters a lot. Not so much the idea, okay, I'm going to live up to a certain set of standards that are on my checklist so I can be good. I think the real reason obedience matters, one thing, it, it affects everybody we, we, we run into, every people. Um, but also it's very important because it's an indicator of what's in the heart. It reveals what's in our hearts. You know, with the heart, actions are really the only thing we have to go on. We aren't like God Um, You know, Samuel was looking at the sons of Jesse to see he was going to be the next king. And the first one came and he was all handsome and Samson's blown away and said, surely this is the one. And God said, no. And what was it? Uh, Forget how many sons it was. And it was none of them until the very last one. And God said, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And... um, We can't do that in the same way God can. We don't even sometimes understand our own hearts all that well. And by the way, when when we're talking this morning uh, about the heart, and let's let's be focusing on our own hearts, and let's not be looking around the room and deciding, I don't know what's going on in his. And... uh, Where we need to start is right here. 
So actions are like a heart exam. We can't do an ultrasound or a CAT scan, you know, to find out what's in our spiritual hearts. Uh, But our actions show. I want to read a couple verses from Matthew 12. Jesus speaking. He says, you brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of what fills the heart. See? The mouth is something you can put your finger, you can hear. The mouth speaks out of which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good. The evil man brings out of his, of his evil treasure which is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Now if we look at that last verse, we can say, boy, that almost sounds like a works religion. By your words you'll be justified, by your words you'll be condemned. So if we just get all the lists and decide what all the right words are, And what all the wrong words are, we avoid that. We say the right ones. Uh, We've got it together. I don't think that's the way to look at it. I think the problem is, stems from what's in the heart. And we could try to do the lists and all that, but um, we'll talk a little little bit more about that in a minute. So, you know, we could talk about speech, and we should be very concerned about speech. Speech is one of the leading indicators of what's in our heart. You know, we, we talk a lot. And, you know, what comes out is what's in here most of the time. And uh, it says we're going to give an account for every careless word. In my margin, it says useless word. Um, that's another way of taking it. And I usually think of, for some reason, I've always thought of swearing when I read this. Um, I don't know about you, but I I hate swearing. I think it's one thing that's okay to hate. Uh, When I hear someone swear, my respect level, where it was at, goes... Um, Young people, I've, I've met young people sometimes that somehow they've decided it's cool to swear and to say all kind of edgy things. It's totally uncool to swear. Uh, there's a quote I heard years ago that I remember. It goes like this. Profanity is the effort of a weak mind to express itself forcibly. And I know that's, you know, people plenty smart enough swear, but I'm saying you don't need to. If you've gone to school to learn enough English, you don't have to launch off into French to get your point across. So, I don't want to get sidetracked on speech, but how can we say that God has placed a covenant in our heart and he's working out his will and his way when what is coming out of our heart and coming out of our mouths uh, resembles something else? And, of course, the flip side is true. Are there encouraging words? Are there kind words? Are there upbuilding words coming from our lips? That shows that God is, really does have a dwelling place in our hearts. So, is it, is it possible to fake it? 
to say all the right words, but the heart still not be in the place, a place where God dwells. I think that's possible, at least some of the time. In Matthew 15, Jesus is speaking again. And he's talking to the hypocrites. And he says, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So that's possible. You can have your list and you can say the right word, but your heart can be far away. You know, it might be possible to, to make enough rules concerning conduct that we could regulate behavior somewhat. The Pharisees tried that. But my guess is we'd still slip up enough. What's in our heart would still come out at times that our lack of covenant would be exposed. And, of course, we never can fool God. In Matthew 7, Jesus speaking again says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In your name cast out demons? In your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Hard to figure out. These people seem to have said a whole lot of the right things. They prophesied, and it must have sounded right. They even cast out demons. But somehow they were faking it in their, their heart and wasn't in the right place. <clears throat> so we've said it's possible to fake a good outward appearance. And we're also told in scriptures not to be careful not to judge. But is, is it possible to, to fake a bad outward appearance and really have a good heart? Is that possible? Think on that a little. I think it's maybe possible, but I don't think it's quite as near as likely as the, the other way around. But I do think this is something we need to keep in mind, that when people, depending where someone is on their journey back to God, we may make wrong judgments about them at times. And the prodigal son in our today's lesson is a, one of the best cases in point. If we'd have crossed paths with the prodigal son when he was halfway home, what would our thoughts have been? <clears throat> he was ragged, he was dirty, he stank, smelled like the pig pen. We might have been just happy to walk around on the other side. <clears throat> so we need to be careful. But let's also remember... That in a short matter of time, the prodigal son was cleaned up and he looked like a son again. Someone who looks and acts and smells like a prodigal for an extended period of time probably is a prodigal still. So we can, you know, we can use our, we can use our good judgment. Now, it's also true just like in our lesson, that person that is a prodigal still, 
You know, what, what is our response? What's our attitude? Is it going to be like the older brother? Or is it going to be like the father that, that wants to, uh, want, would like to welcome him home? So I'll ask this question. On, on the scale, I talked about the, the two um, extremes, the uh, performance-based uh, works mentality on this side, cheap grace on the other side. Uh, where are we? Are we balanced or are we a little imbalanced? I'm expecting most of us would say we've been raised pretty performance-based. We know how we're supposed to act and what we're supposed to do. And um, <clears throat> we've maybe spent, if I'm honest, there were times in my life when I, I tried to do the things that I was supposed to do, but <clears throat> it wasn't very well established in my heart. And so somehow there's a balance here that we need to find. Read a verse from Romans 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. <clears throat> the extreme on this side uh, says a great deal about being not conformed to this world. But maybe... If we're a little bit on that side, maybe we haven't focused enough on being transformed by the renewing of our mind. I think we're talking about the same thing as we're talking about the heart. <clears throat> really, the transformation, like the, the saying in the, the bulletin, I love when a service has things in it that, that, get, that mesh together. The saying on transformation in the bulletin is, is saying just what this verse is saying. Um, that's really what, this transformation is really what gives you the power to, to live above um, not being conformed to the world. We need both parts together. Let me catch up in my notes here. <clears throat> Just focusing on the negative, be not conformed, without yielding to the transformation process won't, won't yield very good results. Now, don't misunderstand me. It bothers me, bothers me a lot when Christians uh, look like the world, they talk like the world, they... They listen to the, they sing the world's songs and they claim that they're, they're being transformed in their hearts. I'm, I'm saying the evidence is not, is not matching up. And you remember Stephen talking about in his youth how he tried really hard not to do bad. And it didn't work, work out that well for him because uh, it's hard to work up power just not wanting to, trying hard not to do bad. And uh, I can relate to that as well. And I, I thought I'd just give you a little bit of some of my testimony this morning. Some of you know some about me, but some of you young ones don't. 
So this is going to be a little different. I'm just going to give a little break in here a little bit with this. Um, <clears throat> I came to Christ at the tender age of eight. And I think it was real, but it was, uh, you know, it was the letting Jesus into your heart thing. And I wanted forgiveness of sin. I did realize I was a sinner. But I, I think I had little realization of what it meant for Jesus to be Lord and be, you know, that transforming process that needs to go on. So things went along fairly smoothly until I hit my early teen years and I began to struggle. And uh, one struggle I had was with music. Now, I'm a person that, that's moved by music. Uh, I remember words that are put to music much better than I could remember the words by themselves. Music touches a chord uh, somewhere deep in my soul. At least some music does. Um, so I grew up in the 60s. And a lot of the, like the folk rock music really sounded good back then. A lot of the music in quotes that I hear out here uh, doesn't even sound like music to me, okay? But back then, it sounded like music, and it sounded good. Now, it was a group called Peter, Paul, and Mary, and Simon and Garfunkel, and, you know, and keep in mind, this was before, this was long before the availability that you have for music today. You know, you have it on your phone, and it's in your ear, and, and, um, the only time I heard this kind of music was on the radio. And I didn't have that much chance to listen to the radio. We, you know, we didn't have it on at home much at all. And certainly not, you know, on stations that it shouldn't have been on. So this may be a little shocking, but I, I want to read the lyrics to one of the songs I remember from back then. And I looked up the lyrics, and I, I still remembered most of the words. I can still hear the... I can still hear the harmony. I still remember how the group that sang it, the one verse, they, they almost sang it a cappella except for the drums. And then when they got to the chorus, the guitars, you know, just... And I can still feel that... that sensual pull or whatever it is that makes you drawn toward that type of music. The title of the song is Drift Away. Day after day I'm more confused, yet I look for the light through the pouring rain. I know that's a game that I hate to lose. I'm feeling the strain. Ain't it a shame? Oh, give me the beat, boys, to free my soul. I want to get lost in your rock and roll and drift away. I'm beginning to think that I'm wasting time. I don't understand the things I do. The world outside looks so unkind. Now I'm counting on you to carry me through. Oh, give me the beat, boys, to free my soul. I want to get lost in your rock and roll and drift away. And when my mind is free, you know a melody can move me. 
And when I'm feeling blue, a guitar is coming through to soothe me. Thanks for the joy that you've given me. I want you to know I believe in your song and the rhythm and rhyme and harmony. You've helped me along, making me strong. Oh, give me the beat, boys, to free my soul. I want to get lost in your rock and roll and drift away. Now, I felt guilty about liking a song like that. And probably every night I ask God to forgive me. But I found no power to live differently. I had struggles with my driving. I was always afraid of excessive speed. I didn't do that. I was afraid I'd kill myself. And I didn't really feel ready to die. But I had a problem with hot rodding. I didn't even have a car of my own. This, this was the family car. We would buy these cars. They were ex-state cars. Uh, some of them were actually old cop cars. I don't think ours was, but it had a 383 cubic inch engine. That's a pretty big engine. And I turned this car over a day or so before my dad was supposed to go to Kentucky for a week of revival meetings. He had sent it to the garage for a tune-up, and I told several of my friends, two of my friends who, uh, I know one of them's here today. <laughs> I won't mention who they are. <clears throat> I told them, well, let's, let's get in the car and let, let's see if this tune-up is good. And so we went up the road, and uh, we ended up three-quarters of the way turned over on the bank by the chapel church. We crawled out the driver's door window, and I was charged with reckless driving. The car was totaled, and my dad ended up taking his old, ugly, green work van. It was an old telephone company van to Kentucky for his week of revival meetings, and I don't know what he told him. Uh, maybe he told him to pray for his oldest son that needs a revival back home. So I was still a juvenile. I don't know if I was 16 or 17. And my parents had to go with me to the juvenile court. And we sat in there before the judge. And the judge asked me what happened. And I said I wasn't sure. And what I meant was, you know, always before I could, you know, do a around the corner burnout and get it all back straight. And this time, somehow, I couldn't get the steering wheel spun quick enough. And we went up the bank and rolled backwards and turned over. And the judge, he could see through all that. He glared at me and he said, it looks like too much gas to me. And he was right, of course. Now, you would have thought that that would have put the fear of God in me to change my driving, but... It didn't really change it that much. I mean, maybe I was more careful. But do you know when my driving improved? Do you know when my taste of music changed? Do you know when some other of my sinful ways were broken? When I surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ when I was 19. 
I think another way of saying it was, I asked God to renew that covenant that he wants to put in my heart so that my, my desires, my actions will reflect his will and his ways. I don't really know how to explain exactly how that happened. I, I heard that uh, Oak Hill Mennonite Church in Cumberland was having a week of meetings, and I decided to go. And I ended up going every night. It's an hour and a half drive up there. I went every night. I don't remember what I told my folks. I still didn't have a car of my own. This, was the, this, was the, this must have been the next family car. It's a wonder they let me take it. And I never went forward, you know, and did the altar thing and asked somebody to pray with me. But something happened in my heart that made a drastic change in my living. Now, was I perfect? No, of course not. But now I was feeling the power to live above those things that wanted to drag me down. And one of the first things that changed was my taste in music. Uh, those of you old-timers remember the mountain anthems. I bought some of their recordings, and the song I remember the most on that first recording that I bought, <clears throat> the song goes, And Jesus said, Come to the water. Stand by my side. I know you are thirsty. You won't be denied. And man, was I ever thirsty. And I drank. That's the thing. No matter how alluring and pleasing to the senses are the things that the world has to offer, they don't satisfy. It's like a cow eating broom straw. I've heard tell that a cow can starve to death with a full belly of broom straw. There's no food value there. So here, here's my plea this morning. Wow, I said all that. Let's examine our words and our actions, our desires, our appetites, not with the mindset that these are the checklists I'm going over to try to be righteous, but what do our actions and words, our appetites, say about the condition of our heart? Does the evidence of God's covenant show, or do we need further surrender to his lordship? And I have a special burden for the young people coming up today. I, I was young too once, a very long time ago. And if anything, I think the pressures on young people today are multiplied from when I grew up. And so there could be some of you that are experiencing some of the same things that in a similar way that I did. You came to Christ early, but you're, maybe you're getting distracted. You're listening to some other voices on the side and they're start, starting to drown out the still small voice of the covenant that God wants to put in you right here. And you might say, oh, these things that I'm doing, they're pretty innocent. What's wrong with it? Well, I beg to differ. They're not so innocent. And besides, what's wrong with it is the, is the wrong question. The question we should be asking is, what's right with it? There's a whole lot of things that uh, we could say what's wrong with it about about them, but we need to, there's only enough, so much time in life 
Uh, and we need to be asking what's right with it and, and stick to the things that we know are going to build us up. And I want to say a word to parents. Um, it's okay to have do's and don'ts in your home. You must, you must have some do's and don'ts. It, that's, that's, that's perfectly fine. You need them. Children don't have that covenant relationship yet with the Lord Jesus in their hearts. You need to help them see what's right and wrong, but be telling them as you go along that your goal is to hand them off to the Holy Spirit at some point. And as they get older, help them sense that their need of that relationship of their own. I want to close with a verse from 1 Timothy 4. Paul talking to Timothy, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. So Paul was speaking to Timothy. Timothy was a young man, and he said, just because you're young, don't let anybody despise you, but be an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, purity. And so that's something we can talk to the young people about. But I'd like to broaden that application a little bit. Here at Covenant Fellowship, we are a young church. We're not quite seven years old. Um, let's be sure that no one has a reason to look down on us. Let's be an example in, in these areas. <clears throat> and this can only happen as we cultivate that covenant relationship with Jesus in our hearts. It won't happen by the lists. It won't happen, you know, by trying to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps to be good. It won't happen by trying really hard not to do bad. It will happen by the transformation that Jesus wants to do in our hearts. And uh, I want to do something right at the end here. I came across this song just recently that I'm going to see if it'll work. I'm sure the sound won't be all that great, but it kind of, it, it, it's a very simple song, but it just, it, um, the title is, the chorus says, bend me, O Lord, bend me into your will. You're, uh, oh, I was going to read the, uh, I was going to read the words first. Sung by a group of uh, guys from somewhere in Africa. So their pronunciation is maybe a little harder to understand. Verse 1 says, Lie still and let him mold thee. O Lord, I would obey. Be thou the skillful potter and I the yielding clay. And then they they only sing the first and last verse, but I'm going to read the other two verses as well. In thy dear hand I'm resting, O hold me quiet there. Then soften me and mold me, and for thy will prepare. I need not fear to trust thee, thy love and skill are such. New lessons thou wilt teach me, while yielding to thy touch. Impress thine image on me, fulfill thy blessed design. Till others see upon me that beauteous face of thine. And then the little chorus goes, Bend me, O bend me, to thy will. While in thy hand, I'm lying still. Lie still.
beautiful potter, and I thy yielding clay. Bend me, oh, bend me to thy will. for you to contrast those two songs that I talked about this morning and which one do you want to be singing let God transform our hearts 